when I was asking Jesus about not sending me back and I told him what a rotten place this world was, he said, it's also full of love. Yeah. He said that if you're loving, you will attract loving people and you will attract love. And if you angry or hateful or mean or greedy, that's what you'll attract to. And you know what? He was 100% right. Yeah. And my, my, my life is so full of good people. Yeah. They, I mean, that's part of me winning the lottery is that like, you know, not only do I have this love, but all these, all these good loving people are my friends. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another hour accentuating the positive. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I've called blissful beings. Here on Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are, instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. You didn't put your lipstick on this morning. (laughs) Wait a minute, I'll be right back. (laughs) (laughs) You might might get in your moustache. Anyway. Mm. (laughs) All right, enough silliness. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Sorry, got a bit of a cold this morning, so I'm sounding a bit husky, but I'm so excited to introduce you to the wonderful and delightful Reverend Howard Storm, who has been interviewed many times. You'll see him on the internet. He's been, and I've been listening to a few of his interviews, and we're going to get into his story today. Of course, Howard's been a reverend in the church for many years. It was all sparked by a near-death experience. Welcome to the show, Howard. Thank you, Karen. It's great to have you on. And I have to remember to tell people to subscribe at the beginning of this because I always say it at the end, but I don't know who stays to the end. Stay to the end and I'll tell you more of what's going on. But if you like the shows, please remember to subscribe. Now, you're an NDE. I was just thinking about it today. We were having a bit of a chat just then and you were saying how many people that you meet. Since you started coming out and talking on the internet about your NDE, you've probably touched more lives than you ever did as a uh, pastor in the church through the internet. Yes, it's been a huge surprise. I myself have never put anything on uh, the internet. Uh, people have just done that. Some some people asked me beforehand, but mostly they just did it. And I'm, I'm delighted. But um, when they started doing that, all of a sudden um, I started getting emails from not just the states, but all over the world, and um, now it's a regular thing. It's uh, um, I get a number of um, emails from people seeking advice, uh, making comments, whatever, um, from all over the world every day, and I answer them all. 
and it's become um, a, a big part of my life. I, I, you know, and, and if um, like my wife and I go on vacation or something, I come back and there'll be like um, you know two hundred that I've got to get to, and that takes days to get through because um, I take them seriously. You know, people said, "Why don't you just write up a bunch of pat answers and just hit you know answer eight and send them?" Well, I can't do that because. Um, it's n not what I believe God would want us to do is to just treat people as uh, categories. Try yeah. and treat somebody with um, prayerful, thoughtful, loving, brief. Um, you know, um, I try and keep, I, I believe in simplicity. Um, Did you, you know, I, so who, who was the first person to interview you about your, who was the first person to put you on the internet? I mean, how many, how many years ago was that? Oh, gee, I think it's been like 10 years or something. Yeah, like about 10 years. I think it was like, so when I did some of those TV shows, there, um, this wouldn't mean anything to some of your audience, but to me, like Phil Donahue and Oprah Winfrey and stuff like that. Did you do those? Did you do Phil Donahue and Oprah Winfrey? I did Oprah twice, yeah. Oh, my she, goodness. I didn't I, know that. Wow. Did yeah. I'm talking to a celebrity. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm going to anticipate the next uh Thought, which is she is really really delightful She's yeah very, yeah uh, she walks so to unfortunately i hadn't written a book then um because if i'd gotten her to promote my book <laughs> i would be <laughs> i'd be in australia talking to you right now face yeah, to face you'd be set for life well yeah. i don't know is there a way that they could put your book on their website i don't know as, as a part as Anyway, it was a long time ago you spoke to Oprah, well, over 10 years ago, before yeah, the internet. 89. Oh, 89. wow. Okay. Oh, God bless Oprah. All right. Well, let's get into your story. I know you've told it many times. Shall we just sort of go briefly through what happened? How old were you? You were 38, and it was in the 80s, wasn't it? It was like in 1987. Yeah, 85. 85. Let me do a real quick version, and then we can, uh, whatever... Uh, piques your interest we can talk about yeah i've got a few things that have piqued my interest having listened to a few of your things online first of all a little quick background i was a 38 year old college professor i was um, a professor of art at northern kentucky university i had been an atheist all of my adult life and i was a very uh, committed atheist and all of my friends were atheists and all Virtually all of my friends were on the faculty at the same university, and they um, we all shared our views. And we did a lot of Christian bashing and a lot of Christian mocking and stuff like that. And uh, you know, there would there would uh, be things that I would say during class that let the students know where I was. Like for example, um, I had a nun in a class in 1973, and the first day of class, I asked to see her after class, and I said, "By the way, I don't want any religion." in this class because I'm an atheist and I, don't, I wouldn't tolerate any of that sort of stuff. And she was like, I'm not here to proselytize. You know, I just want to learn how to paint. And, you know, anyhow. Um, so my dad was a World War II veteran and a fairly successful businessman. I had a nice middle-class upbringing in Massachusetts. And my dad was in Australia uh, several times because he was in the uh, Navy and was in uh, New Guinea, stationed oh, in New Guinea. Okay. Anyhow. On June 1st, 1985, I was on the last day of a three-week art tour of Europe with a group of students and my then-wife. At 11 o'clock in the morning, I had a perforation of the duodenum, and the duodenum is uh, your, your stomach goes into what's called a small stomach, 
and then that goes into your intestines. And a perforation is a hole. Um, people people always tell me that I had an ulcer, and I go, well, something ulcerated, but it it ulcerated all the way through into a perforation. The problem with this is it causes septus, which is infection in your abdominal cavity. If it's not treated immediately and effectively, it's terminal. I mean, people die from septic infections all the time. It's a very, very common cause of disease, not just from uh, perforations, but um, all kinds of things. Mm. And uh, the immediate problem for me was when this happened at 11 o'clock in the morning at uh, the Hotel de Lima in the Rue Saint-Germain, Paris, France. I didn't know what had happened, but I was standing there talking to my student, Monica Schoener, and the next thing was I was on the ground screaming, thrashing, cussing, mm. and the pain was... Um, of a degree that I'd never experienced in my life. And I had been in some accidents and once was severely, but this was, this was way out of, out of any experience I ever had. It was just um, overwhelming pain. My wife called the desk at the hotel. They called a uh, emergency medical service. The doctor came very quickly, got me off the floor, got me on the bed, knew exactly what was wrong with me and said that um, if I didn't have surgery within the hour, I would die. And that he called an ambulance and the ambulance came and they um, literally carried me out because I couldn't, I, I, I was um, immobilized in pain and uh, taken to the big city hospital of Paris, taken to the emergency room, diagnosed by two very nice doctors, took my medical history and everything, and restated several times to me and my wife that I had to have surgery now, like right now. And if I didn't have it right now, I would die. The doctors in the United States, when I came from the United States, told me that my um, life expectancy was uh, five hours or less mm. and this, without the surgery. So I was taken uh, several blocks away to the surgical hospital and parked in a bed. And unbeknownst to me, my wife, and I'm sure the doctors in the emergency wing, there was no surgeon available on that Saturday, beautiful Saturday afternoon. Since there was no doctor, there was no one to um, give any orders for me. So I was put on a bed and uh, left there. And maybe like once every hour, a nurse would come by and say, Sabah. And I would tell her in my poor French that I was dying and that I needed morphine. And I had a really kind French roommate, Monsieur Florent, and he, would, he spoke English and he translated for me and told him, this guy's not going to make it if you don't do something with it. And they would always tell him, well, we can't do anything because, you know, he's not technically, I wasn't under anybody's, uh, any doctor's supervision any, and under anybody's orders. So I was left there. This started at 11. I was in the surgical unit before noon. And at 8.30 that night, oh, I, let me just add, um, during that time, the pain went from so bad I couldn't stand it to 10 times or 100 times worse. And breathing was very, very, very difficult. And the only way that I could breathe was by um, fighting the pain and uh, making myself breathe. Because I knew, I, I was rational enough to know that if I didn't breathe, that, that would be very bad. That would be a bad thing. You know what amazes me with this story is that you remember it all so clearly. It's like when you go through something that horrific, you really don't forget it, do you? I don't forget a bit of it. And that's very interesting to me because the whole thing is so clear that when I tell the story, I have to, I have to skim it. Because yeah. if I started, if I started um, dwelling in 
what I know, what's right there, you know, just just uh, a fraction of a millimeter of memory away from being, I, I would start getting too emotional to be able to talk, you know? Yeah, yeah, completely. All right, well, so, let's skip all the pain. Yeah. And you, yeah, so, you said, I'm out of here. I can't stand it. <laughs> right. So the nurse came, nurse came in at 8.30 and said they were unable to find a doctor and they were going to um, try and get one the next day. And um, I had been struggling for my life for hours and hours. And according to the doctors, the U.S. had far exceeded my life expectancy. So I'd, I'd put up a good fight, you know, yeah. because I was scared to death of dying, you know, because like when you die, it's all over. I mean, like every rational human being in the whole world, as far as I knew, knew that when you're dead, you're dead. It's over, period. You know, like you don't see little spirits flying up from the, the dead animals on the road, you know, <laughs> you know, all that stuff's a lot of... Uh, you know, you know that's, a, that's an interesting point, and uh, um, I'm sorry to interject in your story, but, you know, I watched my father died, who was a complete, I guess, agnostic atheist. I don't know what you but he didn't really no. believe in anything after life after death. And uh, he, he seemed happy to, to go. He was only about 75 and he was sick, but he seemed really happy to go. He had a smile on his face. He was happy. And I often wonder, if you don't believe that, any, that you know, you, you cease to exist when we die, how can you be okay with that? But he seemed to be okay with that, which which kind of perplexed me. But maybe there is something in him that knew there was some knowing that he wasn't aware of consciously. I don't know. Well, I was eager to die at that point when I knew that there was no prospect of a remedy to my situation because yeah. uh, I had uh, several ounces of hydrochloric acid, which is you know the main component of your digestive juices, yeah, uh, drifted from my abdominal cavity. Um, Eating and mm. so I closed my eyes and hoped to die. And I, I don't know how long I was unconscious, of course, but then I was awake and I felt better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I was so happy because like I was miraculously healed, you know, I mean, and I'm standing there and as I'm feel, as I'm, uh, investigating how good I feel, I also realized that my senses were greatly heightened, you know, mm -hmm. eyesight, taste, touch, hearing, everything. I tried to communicate with my wife. Um, from my point of view, she ignored me and just sat there crying, which made me very angry. And I yeah. was screaming and yelling at her. Mm -hmm. So I turned to Monsieur Florent, got no response from him which was hard to understand because he had been so nice to me. Now, why would he be ignoring me now? Yeah. I was getting the silence treatment. And I also noticed that there was something very, very um, disturbing in the bed that I had been in. I'm standing in the room, completely physically intact and everything. And uh, when I examined the thing in the bed that was turned away from me and turned towards my wife, who was sitting on the other side of the bed, um, it looked remarkably like me. And um, I could not, I knew that it was a piece of um, dead meat. I knew that, the thing in the bed. But it couldn't be me because I felt better than I'd ever felt in my entire life. So, like, I'm more alive than I've ever been. What is that doing there? And who is that? And I was trying to think of, like, why would the French hospital go to the trouble to make a big, beautiful replica of me and put it in the bed just to mess with my head? You know, that's like... A lot of work for just, you know, sort of like an April Fool's trick here. You know, like, um, and oh, I mean, mind, didn't make it didn't make any sense. So I heard people outside the room calling me in English, Howard, come, it's time, hurry, let's go, we're waiting for you. So I went over to the doorway of the room, and the hallway was very um, 
gray, very fuzzy. The room was bright and light and uh, very clear. And there was a group of people standing way back, away from the light of the room. They didn't want the light. I mean, it was clear that they didn't want the light of the room on them. And they were men and women, and they were sort of dressed in gray, and I couldn't make them out at all. And I said, who are you? I'm sick. I need to have surgery. I've been waiting a long time, blah, blah, blah. And they said, we know everything about you. We've been waiting for you a long time. Let's go. Um, hurry, come with us. So finally, I decided that they were um, going to take me to my surgery, although they never said that. Um, but they affirmed everything that I said, but they never, they never made a declarative statement uh, you know, what their intentions were. So I went down the hallway with them and they encircled me and we went on and on and on. We never went up, down, right, left, just moving, moving, moving. And one of the things that I came to realize was there were no features to the hallway. Um, there were no walls, no ceiling, just space. And in time, um, as I asked them questions, like, where are we going? Who are you people? You know, why is it so far? This hospital, I don't remember this hospital being this big because we're working miles and miles and miles. They would started replying with, shut up. You'll find out. You don't need to know anything. You know, just keep moving for stuff. Those, they became increasingly uh, rude and nasty, and I became increasingly uh, terrified. And eventually we got to a place where it had been getting gradually darker and darker, and I was in pitch black and I said, I'm not going to go with you any further because I was really scared. And they said, uh, no, you're going further with us. And I said, no, I'm not. And so I refused to move. So they started pushing. And I tried to get them off me. And the group, which had been eight or ten and originally, now was like hundreds or maybe more than that. Wow. In the darkness, I'm basically um, what I could tell was by uh, hearing and touch and so i fought well and hard and long and they played with me and i can only uh compare it to like a domestic cat plays with a mouse you know chew off a little bit of the foot and then a little bit of the leg and then the other foot and then the other egg and then chew off in the ear and then chew off it was exactly like that um yeah, yeah. they were they were biting scratching tearing and uh, it hurt just like it would in this world. Um, and they had zero compassion. The more, the more they hurt me, it seemed the um, more it excited them to do more cruel things. All of my orifices, even including ones that I didn't know I had, were invaded. Um, and eventually there wasn't enough of me to resist them anymore. And I was just lying on the ground in that place all ripped up. Um, both devastated by the physical pain, but much more so by the um, emotional pain of what they'd done to me. Yeah. And I heard a voice which kind of sounded like me. Yeah. And it said, pray to God. And I thought, what a stupid idea. I don't believe in God. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't pray. I don't know how to pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I haven't prayed since I was a kid. I wouldn't even know what to say, even if I would pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, what did I say? 
when I was a little boy and went to Sunday school and church and all that stuff. And I'm thinking and I'm coming out with uh, God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her. Now that's the song. Um, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth in this continent a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition. All men are created. Now that's Abraham Lincoln. Um, um, I'm going to try to, I'm going through all this stuff that I remembered as a child. And finally, I come upon the Lord is my shepherd. I'm praying the Lord is my shepherd. And when I started to do stuff like that, just these little bits and pieces, um, the people around me became very, very agitated. And they were saying to me in language that um, I can't repeat because it's so unbelievably vile and obscene, worse than anything I've ever heard in this world. They were saying to me, there is no God, nobody can hear you. And now we're going to really have at you and you must stop. Um, that made me want to get back in them. Finally, for the first time in my whole time with these people, um, I was able to get back at them and because they, they hated the God stuff. So I started making up things which were um, very crude, um, very, very crude. And it drove them away from me. And I was there alone in the darkness, um, unable to go anywhere, unable to move, um, in a world of pain, and I thought about my situation, and I went over my entire life, because in this place, there's no time. So when you talk about time, it's, it's really irrelevant, because there is no time. When you leave this world, it's all time is now time. Um, yeah. As I thought about my life, I came to the conclusion that I had gone down the sewer pipe of the universe into the cesspool. Um, we had we had septic systems where I grew up, and so uh, I knew I knew about how that stuff worked because you always have problems with septic systems sooner or later, and got to dig them up and stuff. Um, I figured that's what had happened to me. I'd gone down the pipe into the cesspool, and these were the cesspool people, and they uh, wanted to take me deeper down into the septic system, and I didn't want to be there, but I also felt that. Why wouldn't I be there? Because I had been a um, self-centered, egotistical, manipulative, um, proud SOB all my life, you know? And that the people that had had at me were my kindred brothers and sisters, people who'd lived the same kind of life that I had. These are not bad what people. In, what interests me about this part of your story is that you are out of your body, so you're in some astral environment. You're in some environment that is not uh, this earth this physical environment and yet you were experiencing all the attributes of having a physical body you're experiencing physical pain emotional yeah, because pain. that was my consciousness mm. that i was a pure scientific based materialist and like i if i'd given up uh, my sense of my physical body i would have had nothing yeah. So, so okay. All right. That's interesting. So you were still. So what you're saying is that you're you were still believing that you're in your body, as you said. You looked at the, you looked at your body, and you like that can't be me because I'm in my body. And I guess that you know, because you're believing that you're you're in a body, you have a body, you're experiencing what a body would experience, and that's you know, in that circumstance, pain and emotional pain and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, anyway. American. The American novelist Kurt Vonnegut 
um, said once that be careful what you pretend because you are what you pretend to be. Exactly. I've always loved that. Um, and yeah, you are what you believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We carried that into the afterlife. Whatever we pretend to be is what we will experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you call out, you pray, stop praying. And yeah, so happens? in that hopelessness, um, with absolutely um, no prospect other than, than they're going to come back and do worse things to me, um, my mind's like racing, racing, racing for something. And what it um, ends up with is like an eight or nine year old boy in a Sunday school classroom, not just singing, Jesus loves me, but feeling it and believing it. And it was so unbelievably different and good from what I was experiencing that I wanted, I wanted that, that I had lost 30 years earlier. Uh-huh. I wanted to go back to that little boy and, and be that simple faith in this super guy, this, you know, this hero figure who, you, who I used to pray to at night to um, chase the uh, alligators. Did you ever have alligators under your bed when you were a little kid? No, if I did, I'd probably be crocodiles. We have crocodiles down here. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> well, and there were bears in my closet and other things. You know, and I would pray to my hero, Jesus, and he would, uh, he would chase them away, and I could go back to sleep. Um, and I wanted him, and so I called out to him, Jesus, please save me. And to my complete amazement, because half of me believed that he, he either wasn't true or if he was true why would he care about me yeah. i had um, said a lot of nasty things about him all my life all my yeah. adult life yeah. um a tiny light appeared in the darkness and it got very big and very bright and came over me and hands and arms emerged out of the light reached down and touched me and when they did um not only was i restored physically but i was filled with his love and his hands went um, under my back and picked me up and pulled me to him. And he put his arms around me and held me very uh, strongly, very tightly against him. And I put my arms around him and I cried like um, a baby of joy. And I slobbered and snotted and gurgled all over his chest for a long time. And he rubbed my back. And I really liked it. And that's all I want ever again. Um, he's, he's my guy. He's my best friend. You know, he's my man. I'm quite devoted to him. <laughs> and uh, I get that. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing that I just want to interject here was that I was so amazed that he, his love is not like a, a sort of theoretical, love it's very passionate it's very real it's very personal i mean he liked he liked me he wanted me in his arms and um he took me up we just started going up and i was like i was like you know we're going up so i'm holding on to him really tight because i don't want him to drop me um and we're just traveling upward and as we're traveling upward i'm trying to get my composure which i i have zero composure i'm just slobbering and crying and hugging him and um i look to where we're going and we're going towards a world of light of a way way i mean like a gigantic galaxy of light and all these 
little little lights relative to the big light are all coming and going from and it's like this beehive of activity out there and we're moving towards and all of a sudden i realized like that's god's house there that's where god hangs out okay so at this point you're kind of you're getting with the picture that you actually might be outside your body that you might be dead in fact i hadn't i i knew that i knew that i was no longer in this world but I wasn't outside my body. I had the best body I'd ever had. <laughs> so I'm you're still there. thinking that you're you're in your physical body, but you're just oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. on a spaceship. My body, my body doesn't change until later. Then I'll, I mean, that that comes much later when I start letting go of that and start taking on a uh, different kind of body. Okay. Uh, a body of light. Yeah. Just a, a body of meat. Yeah. And anyways. Um, I thought to myself, he's made a terrible mistake. I don't belong here. He should put me back. And he said telepathically in his voice into my head, clearly, I mean, it was clearly his voice. And he spoke to me and he said, uh, we don't make mistakes. You belong here. And as that was registering, my next thought was, he read my mind. I wonder if he knows what I'm thinking. And he laughed telepathically. Now I'm going to stop adding the telepathically because that's how everything worked. Yeah. He laughed a lot hard. I mean, he really laughed. And um, he said, of course, I know what you're thinking. In fact, I know everything you're thinking. And I thought, if he knows everything I'm thinking, there's a lot of things that I've thought that I don't want him to know. Like my interest in breasts. <laughs> so I thought of breasts and Jesus really laughed. He thought that was very funny. And it was so refreshing because all of a sudden, this guy's got a great sense of humor, you know, and he thinks I'm funny. You know, I thought I was being naughty and I was going to get like, you know, um, reprimanded or something. And instead, you know, he's a regular guy, you know, he's like a buddy. Um, so we proceeded to communicate. And he said that he had some friends who he wanted me to meet. And he called out musical tones of which I have some wind, wind chimes that suggest his musical tones. If anyone wants to know Jesus heavenly voice, it's chimes um anyways uh, music is the language of heaven the real music i mean the real language but anyhow so um they came over and we did a life review and that was incredibly awful for me because as i went from my childhood into my adolescence and stuff um i saw that i was becoming a very manipulative selfish person i had reasons i mean i had very good reasons i mean i can justify why i was the way i was but i don't want to um um lay that on my dysfunctional family and all that stuff and my dysfunctional culture and <laughs> i mean you know i said like i have to take responsibility for who i am you know and uh the things that i thought were important like awards and recognition and position and money and um status and all that stuff um 
they had absolutely no um, interest in whatsoever. And the only thing they were interested in was, and I can say it in a word, compassion. They were interested in how I had treated compassionately or not. And as I became older and older and more and more successful, when I was quite successful in my little world, um, I was uh, completely obsessed with my own self-interest. And it was awful. Which I have it to say, it's very sad. It's a very common thing. You know, it's the way we're taught to. We're taught to be successful and self-absorbed. And I could say a lot, but let's get let, let's get through this story because I've got so many questions to ask you about. I'm going to wrap. I'm going to wrap. Wrap the, the wrap way this you up. Were. Mm -hmm. When we were done, he asked me if I had any questions. I said I've got a million questions, so <laughs> I asked my million questions, whatever. And he answered everything. He um, best teacher in the world. We went places. We did things. We saw things both in the future and the past. A lot of my um, questions were about myself. <laughs> yeah. But I did ask certain historical questions and big questions and things like that. And when we were done, um, I just had one thing left, and I said, I want to go to heaven. Because he'd shown me around heaven and everything, and I want to go there and be a resident, you know, because it's like the um, fun capital of the universe. And uh, he said, no, um, you're not ready for that yet. You've got to go back and uh, try and live what you were created to be in the first place, which was yeah. a loving, kind person. To fulfill and, your life plan. Yeah, which is very simple. It's just to love people. And uh, Well, I actually I, think you had a bit more of a life plan than most. You know, I think that you had agreed to teach which you did, and you're yeah. still doing right now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's my where my hopefully my way of loving people. Some people yeah. wouldn't find it so, but um, anyhow, I um, had a big argument with him, and I I fought with him ferociously, verbally, um, to not send me back here because I told him this place is horrible and it's evil and hateful, and why would if he cared about me, why would he put me back into this world? And, and he refuted all my arguments with more reasoned, sounder arguments. And finally, um, I was completely defeated, and I agreed to come back. And with that, without any transition whatsoever, I went from my body of radiant light and my heart full of love and my head full of all this knowledge and wisdom that I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. I was back into a body of excruciating pain. pain you know and i want to i want to ask you about what happened then but i want to go back to your uh non-physical environment because that's what i'm really interested in and i want to explore some of the questions that you asked him you know one of the questions that i saw that you asked which really sparks my interest is you said are we the only people in the cosmos and he goes oh no there are so many other forms yeah. of life and he showed you this parade of uh, aliens can you go into a, a bit of what you saw and what he told you about that yes um and and we did he did show me some other worlds as well um the parade of aliens was um a lot like uh the um creatures that you see in star wars they start in his parade they started off and these were these were images of people, and they were all waving at me and winking at me and speaking to me and stuff. And it was like, real, I mean, they were trying to engage me a little bit, and it was like really weird because they started off human-like, uh -huh. and they rapidly um, became weirder and weirder. 
until they were more like um, undersea creatures or insects than humans. And I finally said, um, no, no, no I, I, got, I get it. I get it. Okay, there's a lot of different kinds. I, I get that. You know, um, I don't want to see it anymore because it, it was just way too much information. And all these people and all these things are like looking at me with whatever they had, you know, and like trying to greet me and stuff. And yeah, it got scary, creepy. And uh, but the point that he made was that there's a lot of worlds, um, actually, without limit, all of the universe, and they're all in different spiritual stages. And some yeah. of them are very, very highly evolved. Um, there's no evil. It's all good. It's all love. It's all peace, and everybody just does great there. Yeah. And then there's we're in we're in the bottom of the uh, ranking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually asked him. I said, "So are we like uh, elementary school?" And he said, "No." And I said, "Are we like kindergarten?" And he said, "No." I said, "Are we like nursery school?" And he said, "A little below nursery school." I'm like, ooh. Yeah. And then we're in terms of our spiritual development. Um, but at the same so, time, knowing yeah. yourself as that being of light, you know, when you when you found yourself in your light body and then, you know, you had access to infinite knowledge, you know, knowing ourselves as soul, as infinite potential, infinite light, spark mm-hmm. of the divine, right. it takes a really brave soul to come into a preschool environment when you're coming from such a highly evolved uh, perspective and then to dumb yourself right down. I mean, I, you know, this might be preschool or pre-preschool, but right. it takes a really advanced and courageous soul to come here, I believe. Yeah, because the really kind of the um, the motor that runs it all is our um, the free will that we've been given and the ability to make choices. And so we can take a little bit of encouragement and pride in the fact that when we make the better choice as opposed to the bad choice. And the better choice would be to uh, pick up the Kleenex or the napkin that the old lady dropped and give it to her with a smile, as opposed to ignoring it or thinking, what a stupid old lady, why she, why, why do they let her out in public? You know, the, the good choice when someone cuts you off in traffic rather than um, doing a brake, you know what a brake job is? It's an American thing that we do on the road when someone's um, bad to you, get ahead of them and then um, um, tap your brakes and make I'll them think. Slow down. Oh, yeah, so, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've done that. It's, it's a way of punishing them, you know. Um, so instead of doing a brake job, you know, say a little prayer for them because, like, people that drive that badly are clearly having a really bad day. And yeah. Something like, maybe they're wife just kicked them out of the house or their dog died or maybe they were at the doctors and found out they've got you know cancer or maybe they got fired from their job or whatever exactly you know so say a little prayer for them send a little good good vibes their way you know um so when we make those good choices it's like um if we all did that we would totally transform this whole world into a completely different world i mean we could we could step up the quality of this world like now, if we all conspired to do that. Which is the plan. You know, that's the plan. And that's why he sent you back. Yeah. Because yeah. you're a part of that plan, you know. Yeah, um, exactly what he told me. Yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, that's why I'm here. That's why a lot, millions, millions of us, that's why, you know, millions and millions of us are here. We're, we're, we're trying to be a part of this step up. And the angels are all, uh, and the angels are all, they're giving us uh, their, um, uh, really interesting support. Yeah, you know, um, 
But I want to get back to, sorry, my nose just keeps running, yeah. the extraterrestrial life. You didn't engage in much of it because I, I, the thing is that I believe that there are a lot of beings from those other worlds that are, you know, um, high school or university that are, that are coming here to help the preschoolers graduate. <laughs> no. But Jesus also told me there's naughty ones too. Oh, yeah. Mad. I don't want to talk about the naughty ones. People love okay. talking about the naughty ones. I want to talk about, did you engage much with the uh, other life forms or did, did you just say, okay, don't show me anymore and like yeah. moving No, on? I did not engage with them very much. You didn't? No. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you think about um, alien, uh, angels are aliens. Yeah, they're, they're, well, they're aliens they're, to us. They're, they're, they're beings from another dimension, another world, and, 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 I, and I try and engage with them as much as possible. I, I work my angels. My poor angels got a terrible job because I'm always working them, you know. Well, you know, I spoke to Lorna Byrne. Have you heard of Lorna Byrne? No. She's an Irish lady that just beautiful. She was, has the ability to see with her outside eyes, her physical eyes, yeah. a spirit and angels, and uh, she communes and talks with them as if she's talking to a human. She sees them that physically. Yeah. And um, anyway, she's written quite a few books. The first was called Angels in My Hair, and she said something really interesting. She said angels don't have a soul. I, I'm like, how how can I reconcile that? I thought everyone is a soul. And she said, no, they're a different creature. They're a different idea. They're a, a creature of, you know, created by the divine, by God, but they're different to pe- people that are reincarnating or, or having adventures in physical, in other planets or, in phys- you know, on earth. They're different. They're um, they're not created to have these lives on in other realms. They're no, specifically no. there to assist, exactly. assist no. those souls that are having these lives. So, so you met some angels. Tell me about your. Well, we talked a lot about them. Well, I talked let's, a lot with them. Let's talk about the angels. We were surrounded by these angels, and yeah. so they interacted. Um, one of the things that they made it clear to me is that um, God puts a lot of restraints on them because the angels told me that they want to interfere in our lives. They, I mean, if they had their way, they would feed us and comb our hair and bathe us and wipe our bums. And yeah. I mean, they, they would just um, knock themselves out all day long caring for us. They love us that much. And God says, no, 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 no. If you do that, they're going to be a bunch of spoiled brats. Um, <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> you, you've got to learn these lessons. And so when the angel sees you about, you know, um, to stub your toe in the middle of the night on the uh, corner post of the bed, you know, the angel's like wants to, um, you know, push your, nudge your foot, little foot away. And God says, let him stub his toe. You know, you know, I told him to put a night light there and he didn't do it. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I've encountered so because, um, I do talks and I go out and I meet people. I get to hear a lot of angel stories yeah. and I have my own angel stories. I mean, the angels have saved my life a number of times, but yeah. I mean, like being physically, but I've gotten to hear other people's angel stories and um, they're, wor- they're working all the time. And one of the things that people should do is uh, ask them, ask them for help. Um, they find it quite irresistible. They, they think we're adorable. Yeah. You know? Even, even though they can read our every thought like Jesus can. You know, what I find interesting about angels is they can manifest in a way that we perceive them to be a physical human being. I've heard oh, yeah. that. I've only, seen them. Yeah. Seen even, them. even Lorna was saying, because she realised they told her nobody could see what she sees, but she was to walk, having a walk with Archangel Michael and 
she was in a monastery and there were monks, uh, no, I don't know, like a Christian monastery and, uh, you know, dressed in their robes because she's in her 60s now, so it was a while ago. It was when she was a kid. And uh, and he was dressed like that as well. And then one of the monks came past him and nodded and she looked at him and she said, he can see you. And he goes, yep. <laughs> you know, he, he had actually appeared physical to this other monk. Or, or, or I'll tell you a monastery angel story that happened to me. You want to hear it? Yeah. Okay, so um, when I, after I recuperated from my... Uh, illness, which was many, many months, I started going to a church and uh, became friends with the pastor. And we decided to go down to a monastery in Kentucky, which is called Gethsemane. It was about a three and a half hour drive. And we went down there and uh, had a really beautiful day. And I wanted to go to the gravesite of one of my heroes that, that I'd started reading by the name of Thomas Merton, whose monk name was Father Louis. Louis. And uh, so I asked the uh, monks if I could go to the cemetery which is off limits and they let me in and showed me where the grave was so I was um, standing over the grave praying to Thomas Merton how much he'd influenced me and thanking him for all he'd done and this young monk came to me and handed me a book open to the poetry of Thomas Merton and the title of the poem they opened to was The Cemetery at Gethsemane so I read the, read the poem, of course, it was incredibly touching and beautiful. And I handed it back to the monk. No words were exchanged. And he smiled and nodded at me. And I looked over to my friend who was sitting, the pastor, an older man, off about eh, 15 or 20 feet away, who had been watching all this. And I gave him a big smile as if to... The, the monastery, there's a rule of silence, okay? That's why there's not much talking. So again, this big smile, like, did you see what happened? Wasn't that cool? And he smiled back, and then he looked astonished. And I was wondering what the monk was doing, and I looked over to the monk, and uh, there was nobody there. Now, we're, we are in a walled, enclosed cemetery. It's walled with big gates and everything, and part, part of the wall is the side of the church. There's no windows, no doors. And there's only one way in to the gate that we come in, and he had disappeared. So I went over to the pastor, and I said, did you see that young monk come up and give me the book? And he said, yeah. He said, I don't know where he came from. And I said, did you see him just disappear into thin air? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, he looks exactly like a young Thomas Merton. And he said, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> So I got a lot of stories like that. Oh, I know. So uh, you've got so many stories. I want to get back to because you know your experience in this other realm is just quite uh, extensive and amazing. So I want to explore a little bit more of it. When did you start kind of dropping the idea that you were in a physical form and start having a light body? What was happening? It was very gradual, and the thing was that the, um, the angel, I call them angels, you know, for lack of a better term. I mean, they knew all about me, but I, I asked them at one point if I could see them in a physical form. They said, well, sure, we can appear to you in a physical form if you'd like. And I said, um, no, I hate people. I don't want to see any people. And I meant it. So I said, okay. So they were beautiful. Um, they were uh, opalescent. Okay. Um, they were radiant. 
And uh, although Jesus was holding me physically, he, he would be much more characterized by the light that he emitted, mm-hmm. uh, which was not painful. I mean, I was a welder for a while when I was younger. And if I'm telling you that if that light were light as we know it, it would have fried me. I mean, I would have been busted. Um, but it was actually very loving and kind. Anyways, you know, when Jesus started telling me about uh, life in heaven, which is you can... Um, move through time and space at will no transition you can go like i want to go hang out with the dinosaurs for a while see what that was like then you just boom you just do that or i want to go uh be in the roman empire you know put me in um you know antioch in the roman empire i want to see what paul was like when he was a kid you know boom you just do it um time and space have no uh, are no barriers at all because all all time is now so that in we live in a world of not, we actually live in a world of unreality because um, we can't live in the past because it's gone. We can't live in the future because that's just speculation and, and it absolutely hasn't happened. It may be quite different than we think. And when we think about the now, unless we get really good at meditating on the now, which is possible, we tend to not live in the now at all. We tend to live in either the past or the future and totally miss the now. That's why we miss all these, all this stuff going on around us all the time, because it all is in this world. It's in this reality. We're just not uh, paying any attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's the nice thing about um, trying to um, get focused now and again through prayer, meditation, contemplation on just being fully present. Present. And that's when you start um, hearing and seeing things that you didn't know before. Yeah. Um, like your angels or, yeah. your, or Jesus or your guides or even your galactic friends. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm quite dependent on them. Uh, I, I, my life, I couldn't do what I do. And when I, when I say I couldn't do what I do, I just, like when I, I'm a pastor. So one of the things I do is I visit uh, sick people and old yeah. people. Yeah. And I have no idea what to say or to do with yeah. them because I don't know what they need. So I always go in and I say, okay, God, I'm showing up here, but I don't know. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to do. Um, you're going to have to take over here and uh, make this um, a benefit to them. And then when the, you know, like an hour goes by and we've talked and laughed and cried and joked and said a prayer and I'm leaving and they say, Oh, pastor, thank you for coming. That was so wonderful. You made my day. And I'm like, and I, and I'm thinking to myself, what did I say? I, anything. I didn't, yeah, I was like, and I'm just like, thank you, Jesus, for that. Because like, um, I came here with nothing. And, and hospitals are pretty intimidating because they've got like hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars worth of equipment. They're doing all this stuff. And I walk in empty handed. I've got, I mean, I've got I'm mean, I, an empty mind, empty hands. And all I've got is uh, to rely on God. And, and you know what? He's never, ever let me down. Yeah. Well, I have to say that's exactly how I live my life as well. Um, So connected to my mob. I call them my mob to be irreverent about it. And uh, and just know that they just will, because, you know, I I have a favourite, one of my favourite teachers is a woman called Byron Katie, and she says there's your opinion and then there's God's opinion. And, you know, what's happening now is God's opinion, so why do we need your opinion? And so it's kind of like, <laughs> but we want to argue for our opinion, you know. We want to push against what is. And um, 
um, but that's God's opinion. So uh, I kind of live my life like that too. Like I do the show like that, don't write down questions. I do speaking yeah. events like that. People are like, what are you going to speak about? I'm like, I don't know, whatever yeah. wants to be spoken about at the time. And uh, it's a beautiful event. That's how I prepare for talks. Exactly. You know what? People say, is there anything you need? And I always tell them, I just need a couple minutes by myself is what I need. And in that couple minutes, I say to God, I said, okay, God, I'm here. I've got nothing that these people need. There's nothing of me that is of any value to them. So I'm anxious to hear what you want to give them. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And often it's... Often it's a part of our story. You know, often I find myself talking about myself and I'm like, I don't want to talk about myself. But whatever that story is, it's helping the people that are listening. You know, often I find my mouth just running away with itself, yeah. talking about me or somebody else's story or whatever the hell it's saying or the heaven, yeah. I should say. It's saying. Yeah. But, um, okay, so we're off track again. We'll probably do this a few times. So um, you, go to ch- you go to old people's homes and, the light body. Um, how did you start sort of dropping that? Up? Well, I'm looking. I'm looking down at my body, and all of a sudden, oh my! There's a glow. There's okay. like, you know, I, you and I right now are very heavy. We're very opaque. You know, we're wearing these meat suits. Yep. You know, it, it, it is a burden, and my and I'm 70 years old, and my meat suit ain't what it used to be. You know, it's just not. You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's just not you know any beautiful thing to behold, and it, it you know, and like um, anyhow, I'm looking down at myself in this, you know, the angels are glowing, and Jesus is radiant, and heaven's radiant, and all the radiant beings, and I'm this like opaque, heavy thing, you know, I'm like, I'm like this like lump of rock amongst all these flowers, if you will, but that, I mean, it's much more extreme contrast. And all of a sudden, I'm not so heavy anymore. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, I'm looking at the glow and I'm going like, I've got colors. And of course, one of the fun things, you know, I was an art teacher for 20 years. Um, there, there's a lot more colors. And people say, well, what were the colors like? And I said, if I had the language to talk about them, I'd be happy to. Yeah. You know, when I go to the art supply store, they have not gotten an inventory of the otherworldly colors in yet, which I'm very disappointed in. Because yeah. when I paint, you know, I do stuff like I throw ground glass into my paint and stuff, trying to get like new colors you know, that don't exist. And it never quite works out the way I'd hoped, you know, because basically I'm stuck with yellow, red, and blue, you know, yeah. and the mixtures thereof. I'm, I'm begin, becoming more and more radiant. And then the other thing I realized is that I'm becoming less opaque. And so I'm becoming, um, I never reached full transparency, but I definitely was, uh, light was moving through me. You know, I was becoming translucent. And the only thing that I've ever, I mean, the only thing that has ever come close to me for it is opals. And I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to Australia, but uh, <laughs> uh, opals really have that that magical quality. Because like when you try, and, like when I've looked at an opal, I've never been able to afford one. Hint, hint. If there's anybody there who would like happen to have one, that that sense of um, the colors are always changing. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's like um, I also like fireworks shows. I'm, I really love fireworks because uh, although they're very transitory. 
the angels and Jesus were like that. Only they were constant, you know. And there was no and there was no boom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was no explosion. Yeah, that smoke and no noise. But when you were when you were sort of dropping your density, let's say um, yeah. releasing your density. How can I explain it? And becoming lighter and more expansive, were you also dropping the sort of physical limited mind or the egoic mind? Were you becoming more aware of of the infinite possibility, probability oh. of the universe? Like you were becoming oh, yeah. more... Jen, like um, you shown or taught stuff, you were just remembering, you know, absolutely. remembering. You know, like you hear near-death experiences say, you know, I, when I was there, I, w- I was all-knowing. Yeah. And I mean... I- I was getting into that. And then when I could, you know, one of the things that I don't, I don't do this to the near death experience, but I said, like, if you're so all knowing, what's the lottery number? Cause I could use some money right now. You know? <laughs> um, and, and by the way, I haven't won the, I don't, I actually have never played the lottery, but um, I, I've never won the lottery either. Um, and I guess you have to play it to win it. I don't know. Play it to uh, win it. <laughs> yeah. I, but I know Oh, this is going to sound terrible. I know way more than I should, and I don't talk about it much because, you know, when I go there, I lose everybody. Well, I'm here to talk about it. <laughs> look, you know what? I know you know more than you should, and I wouldn't be talking to you if you didn't. Okay, so you're a pastor and you're a reverend in the Christian church and all that sort of thing, and I am not. But I don't denounce any religion, but I don't support any religion either because I think that, because you know more than you should, I don't think religion per se, any of them, allows us to go there. And as a young girl, I wanted to, like, I wanted to go there. I want to talk about aliens and the cosmos and, well, and religion wasn't going to show me that. Um, I, I, I promise you I can be a better critic of the church than you can. Well, I'm not here to be a critic of the church. No, 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 but let me, I want to be a critic for a minute. Let me, the, problem, <laughs> the problem with the church is that People turn it into a tribal unit to control other people. Yeah. Which was never the intention of Jesus or no. God or any of the prophets. And matter of fact, you could make a good argument that, um, you know, what was Jesus's real intention about church to begin with? Because he never, he never started one. No. You know? Nor and, would he uh, a Christian. It's funny enough. Right, I, get a, exactly. I get a yeah. lot of overzealous, you know, religious people judge me on the YouTube, especially when I was talking about Doreen Virtue becoming a born-again Christian. So she's a, a New Age author. That yeah, I, I, I looked at her interview because you had uh, referenced yeah, her. I thought she was delightful. She's delightful, but she's kind of gone down this sort of religious thing. And, and so it sparked a lot of argument between Christians and new age people, you know, again, some category that's making it, that's dividing us instead of connecting yeah. us. You know, I it's think really, really, really terrible because our whole interest is bringing people together. Um, Mother Teresa said when asked in India, uh, what do you think of all these religions in India? And I guess we could say that she was pretty well defined as a good Catholic lady, right? Yeah. She said, I love all religions. I just love my own the best. Yeah. And so when people ask me about other religions, I said, I love all religions. I just, I just love Christianity. It's my, it's my culture. I mean, it is my culture. It's my experience. And I, the word religion means to bind in the French, you know, religare means to bind. That's where it comes from. And so I have bound myself to a 
practice, a discipline, a tradition, and I try to make it expansive and inclusive and not exclusive. And I try to um, open it up and, you know, and emphasize what I think is essential. And I try to despise everything that excludes people. And, um, you know, it gets me in a lot of trouble. I mean, like a lot of, a lot of Christians think I'm a terrible, terrible person because of, uh, you know, I don't want to damn people. Well, I don't think Jesus ever taught anyone to damn anybody. Um, you know, on that little interview I show, I sent you, uh, like he's always said to me when I've asked him about how so much bloodshed and war and argument has happened in his name, you know, uh, be it the zeal- overzealous yeah. born-again Christian people that want to tell you you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in him and wars a bit. like I'm like, how, how do you reconcile this? And he's always said, I love everyone no matter who they are. So, you know, this the unconditional love that comes from the Christ consciousness is beyond most human understandings. And I think Absolutely. that you experience that, you know, and that but I've not had a near-death experience that I know of. I know that I hang out in uh, non-physical like we all do at night and have lovely conversations with people. But, you know, we need to bring that to earth. It's that conversation that you had in that non-physical realm that needs to be um, more expanded here in this physical realm. It's that conversation of unconditional love and acceptance, which there are many amazing people that are religious people, you being one of them. So, listen, um. I want to get into that stuff that you don't want to talk about, the stuff that oh. you saw that uh, was like way out there. Come on, tell us everything, Howard. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, okay, this, I mean, you probably know this, but um, some people don't. You know, people talk about uh, the heavenly choir. One of the things that Jesus showed me was that um, what our ultimate um, destiny is is to participate with God in the act of creation, and one of the um, really dumb things that people think is that creation happened, and now it's kind of playing out. C- creation is right now, and the heavenly choir, if you will, is singing the song of creation. Now we, I have to use. The English language, because um, I don't know how to communicate this stuff other than with language. Their their singing is is they're creating vibrational states of space, which is what theoretical physicists say everything in the universe is. All space, all energy, all matter is vibrational states of space, and they are actually creating the vibrations. And the reason why God created us to um, God's God's um, just a creative madman. I mean, in the nice sense of the word. He just loves to create. And he creates us to participate and extend the whole range of creation because um, we were created to be, one of the reasons why we're in this world was we were created to be of God and non-God. And that in that way, we bring a little, a little of our own flavor. You know, God thought up uh, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. And now he's looking for people that come up with uh, raspberry chocolate chip mint you know <laughs> you know exactly you know coconut cherry he you created know? duality so yeah. instead of the pure positive energy that our soul is he created like god and non-god as you say like light and dark and uh yeah contrast yeah, yeah. duality 
so in that heavenly choir, what is required is um, an absolutely pure heart for God. Because there's nobody in the heavenly choir that um, wants to create dissonance. So our, our being, and it doesn't matter whether it takes a few thousand years or a few billion years, is to evolve our heart and our will to that place where we just completely, totally are pure in heart and want to be one with God. And when we get to that place, then we get to go to the heavenly choir. Ask Jesus. So when people approach the heavenly choir, what do they do? And he said, well, he said, a lot of them lock up. And I said, what do you mean they lock up? And he said, oh, it's just so overwhelmingly beautiful and good and powerful. I mean, the, the energy coming off that is just like, you know, unbelievable, that they just stand there and just freeze up and look at it and bask in it. And I said, well, how long do they do that? And they said, as long as they like. And I said, well, how long? And he said, well, you know, it's hard to define. He said, like, in the way you would understand it, some of them hundreds of years, some thousands of years, some millions of years, before they actually join in and start participating. But when you join in and participate, you're actually participating with the creator in the creation. And I asked him, so what if they stopped? And he said, if they stopped, there would be no thing of no thing. There would be nothing. There'd just be God. It would all, it would all cease. And um, what's happening in the universe, the universe is um, ever expanding, ever getting more wonderful. It's a multidimensional universe. So it's not just the physical universe that we, we know of, which we know very little of, because 97% of it is um, dark matter and dark energy. We only are aware 3% of our physical universe. But there's a multi-multi-dimensions um, and they're all being created and it's just getting more beautiful. So, you know, when you think about, I mean, from our little experience in life, when you think about God, um, you, you think of like a category, like, um, I have a goldfish pond in my backyard. Okay. Let's make it really, really get down to like something simple, goldfish. Um, they have babies and you know what? Some of them come out white. Some of them come out gold. Some of them come out half white, half gold. Some of them come out black. I mean, believe me, I'm not having any any kind of genetic influence on them. I, I just feed them. I swear, my hands are. <laughs> I, I don't touch them. I mean, the the creativity in my little goldfish pond. You know, the, the the dogs. I'm a dog lover, and the dogs that I've had in my life, each one is unique and beautiful and wonderful. Um, think about think of a category like eucalyptus trees, and like every eucalyptus tree is this wonderful being. I have this uh, appreciation for wood, and I think wood is a living creature. Yeah, um, I do wood carving. You know, every every tree is. I mean, when you get when you carve a piece of wood, you realize this whole thing is like, what a life! What a life they had! It's incredible! What a soul! You know, everything's living and being, and the whole planet. You know, like we now know that the whole planet, that with the Earth tectonics, we're living on a living planet that's like literally breathing and shifting and growing and changing and a living um, being. Yeah. 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 And 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 what we get to contribute to it is hopefully, theoretically, what we're supposed to bring to it is a better consciousness. Yeah. You know, what better vibes? And instead, we uh, tend to be very disrespectful and hurtful to our mother planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this this whole thing is this huge, you know, from America, it's this huge work of art. Yeah. And it's really, but what we have to bring is our own weird, strange, beautiful, rascally, naughty, you know, bizarre life experience. Because God, God has given us, one of the things I like to do is I like to sit at the airport and watch people. I really get off on that. 
Mm. I'm a huge people watcher. Yeah. And, you know, all every one of them is so beautiful and so different. And as an artist, and I'm quite serious here, and this isn't fluff, as an artist, if you, if you sit down and do a portrait of someone or try and paint somebody, you come to realize they are the most beautiful creature in the whole world. Every single one of them. You know, it's just amazing. And then, and then you think about their life experience and their gifts and their potential. And God has made us all to have these incredible potentials to do wonderful things. Yeah. And, and in our culture, uh, it's unfortunately so stifled. Those, I had the, the best job I ever had in life was I was an art teacher. And, you know, get, and to give kids permission to make art, you know, and then to encourage them. Um, it, it was really, really, really fun. And I got paid to do it. So how, why aren't you still doing that? <laughs> um, I loved being an art teacher. I didn't love the university because the university is very, very close-minded. And there's a lot of um, hurtful behavior. And I, I'm going to say something terrible, but um, there are many people in the university, perhaps a lot, who have no interest in the students and in them becoming more beautiful you know, being oh, and, and, and it was hard to be i was pro, I, I felt like i was participating in a very hypocritical corrupt system yeah but you could set up shop in a garage and have a couple of little kids but anyway that, that's another yeah. story but um uh, you know I, I spoke to an amazing guy called bill mckenna and we were talking about dimensions you were talking about how we're multi-dimensional and we were talking about the th- he was explaining really well the third dimension i thought his explanation of it was beautiful and the third dimension has all these institutions, like we have political institutions, monetary institutions, educational institutions, and this institutionalization of humanity as religious institutions has is very three D. It's very a very three D construct. And he was saying that, you know, inside three D, there's wanting, thwarted wanting, and indifference. I just thought it was a beautiful explanation of the third dimension. But he was moving on to the fourth dimension. He's talking more like what you were talking about. You know, you don't have that indifference anymore. You become more in the moment, more connected to the now, more present with what's happening around you rather than indifference, like going out into traffic or to the supermarket, you're just indifferent to what's happening around you. The people, the traffic, like completely indifferent, not in the now at all, like on this mission to fulfill your desire, whether it is to buy the groceries or uh, it was just quite an extraordinary way of um, looking at, you know, perspective of looking at what we're doing here. Institutions are a really big problem because well, people can hide in the institution and the institutional right. values become their values yeah. and they lose their um, heart, they lose their humanity. But I've seen so many institutions go awry. Um, you know, I was married to an uh, a Hare Krishna for a while and in, inside that religion institution there was so much corruption and and I heard that the 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 head of that church if you like to use that language the guru Prabhupada who brought Hare Krishna to the west was actually poisoned by his disciples because that he wasn't moving them up the the, the rung you know he wasn't ordaining them in as like high priests or whatever and they were getting impatient so they just knocked him off because it you know like most religious institution it became an extremely extremely wealthy institution and with this money became greed and and i wonder 
how we can create institution, you know, like groups or community without having any of that institutionalization, you know, like that's something well, I wonder about. The, the, the reason why I, I'm a minister in the church that I belong to, which is, um, it's come from congregationalism is that every congregation is autonomous and we have no central authority governing us. And the church that I'm serving now is 20 to 30 people and we have no money. Um, and it's a wonderful group and I love them and they love me and there's no dissonance there. It's just beautiful. And we live hand to mouth and I get paid very, very little, which is so fun for me. Um, and you know, it's just great. And many of my colleagues, um, tease me all the time about like, um, what a loser I am, you know, I'm a loser, what a loser church. And I go, yeah. And, and proud of it, you know, very proud of it. And when you get, yeah. when you get involved with a big institution, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the pursuit of uh, money and stability and growth and stuff uh, overwhelms. It does. Especially uh, in America, because in America, you know, um, our president, our current president was elected because he convinced people that he was one of the wealthiest people in the world. Yet to be proven whether that's true or not, but we admire wealth to the point oh, of uh, look, if you're wealthy... You know, you're a president. <laughs> I have to tell you something. My next door neighbor is very big in the Catholic Church, and we always have these wonderful philosophical conversations about spirituality and Catholicism. Anyway, there's this big conference happening in Sydney, a big Catholic conference. And I said, What's the purpose? And she said, Evangelization. And I like, What? You know, evangelism, evangelization. They want to um, evangelize people. I'm like, Okay. And it's fascinating talking to her. So she's working in the city at the moment in a high-rise in the city and they've got 16 floors, the Catholic Church. And I'm like, oh, my God, the amount of money to have 16 floors, the archdiocese in the Catholic, you know, in the city, the amount of money involved in that. And it just, as she was talking about they're spending $15 million on this conference and as she was talking about the wealth involved in the Catholic Church, my eyes were just boggling. And she said, oh, that's nothing. The Hillsong people will invest $20 million in a conference. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's just big big, big business and money and finance in some of these religious institutions. It's just, yeah. wow. I'm waiting for someone to come along and corrupt me with money, but it's they better hurry up because I'm getting old and it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, I'm pretty sure that the purpose of life wasn't to be successful and make lots of money. Although money but, does uh, mobilise things, you know, money can be I, fun. I used to... I used to I, not a lot, but I used to start my talks off with, um, hi, my name's Howard Storm. I had to be here and I won the uh, lottery. Matter of fact, I won all the lotteries. I won the Irish sweepstakes. I won the New York lottery and the California lottery and the higher line. And people look at me and I said, yeah, I've got the love of God. That's the lottery. That's, that's the winning ticket. You know, I came up with the right numbers and I won. I mean, I've got it made for the rest of my life. Nothing, nothing can ever happen to me better than this. This is the best it could possibly be. And it's going to be even better when I get out of here and move on, move up, graduate from this place. Um, I, I thought that would get people's attention, but I don't know if they, they got or not. So I stopped doing that. But I, I believe, I, I mean, if you ask me, am I the richest man in the world? I would say very possibly yes. Yeah. Um, not that there aren't other people with the equal amount of wealth that I have, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few others, and I've met them too, but I, I can't speak for another person's heart. I can only speak for mine. I, my heart overflows with God's love. Yeah. You know, what more could you want? Well, that's one of the purposes, isn't it, to forget who we are and then remember. And once you remember, living here can become such a joy. I mean, you know, you, you, you cease to struggle. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, Jesus said to me, you've arrived. When I was asking Jesus about not sending me back and I told him what a rotten place this world was, he said, it's also full of love. Yeah. He said that if you're loving, you will attract loving people and you will attract love. And if you're angry or hateful or mean or greedy, that's what you'll attract to. And you know what? He was 100% right. Yeah. And there you my, go. My, my life is so full of good people. Yeah. They, I mean, that's part of me winning the lottery is that, like, you know, not only do I have this love, but all these, all these good, loving people are my friends. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, if I were to die today, I'm going to, I'm not going to have a great funeral. I'm going to be like a lot of people and they're going to, and they're going to weep. And, and I'm going to be standing over them going, we please stop the weeping and, and sing happy songs for me because I just graduated, you know, but I mean, I, my life is so full of goodness. It's just, it's shocking. It's really shocking. You know, I, I just came from a funeral the other day. My sister-in-law's mother died, who I was very close to, but she was like 94. And when you've got the ability to talk to people who have left their body, call them dead, whatever you want to call them. They don't like being called dead people because like you, they're more alive than they've ever been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Healthier, more alive, more vibrant, more joyous. So how can you call them dead? Anyway, yeah. they just, you know, they just so don't want you to grieve for them because they are just so happy. And um, I guess the grieving process is really about you feeling like you've lost them. But then when you... And you have. I mean, we miss them. You know, I miss my mom. you can reconnect to them if you want to. I I chat to dead people all the time. I was doing a funeral one day. It was at a funeral home. And the woman that I was um, doing the funeral for was a really saintly old lady in her late 90s. And I I really loved her. And... uh, at the end of the funeral, the last words at the funeral home are the committal, you know, um, and I'm standing next to the open coffin doing the committal, commending her, committing her to God. And uh, she opened her eyes and smiled at me and thanked me. The corpse in the coffin. And like I stopped and I looked out at the people to see if anybody else had seen it. And they're all like, oh. You know, they're all they're all grieving. I'm going. I need to get on with this. <laughs> you know, that was for me. You know, but I was because it. I mean, it really happened. But I was the only. I was sitting. They were all sitting, so they they didn't have really have the perspective into the coffin like I because I'm right up against the coffin. So but you she didn't gave check, the most you beautiful didn't, smile. You didn't check to see if she was still had a pulse. No, I was, she was quite dead. She I was mean, quite dead. That, that corpse was really... Uh, but she yeah. gave you that vision. Yeah. You know, this world that we find so real and, and solid, um, from, your, from that other perspective, you would have seen the illusion of it, which quantum physics is starting to talk about. You know, nothing is, yeah. like Deepak says, nothing is matter. And in a way he says, therefore, nothing really matters because nothing is matter. Uh-huh. The, stuff, yeah. 
stuff of the universe that we think is so real and solid, like our bodies and money and all that sort of stuff, it's actually just energy and information swimming in a quantum soup, but we're perceiving it because we have these limited uh, perceptual apparatuses that make us perceive it the way we perceive it. Mm -hmm. And um, in times where I've been making things matter that don't matter, I often think about that. I often think that nothing is matter and so therefore nothing matters. So when I when I die, I'm going to the good place, not to the bad place, because um, but there's love in me, and that's what that's what attracts us to the good place, and that's what repels us from the good place is the lack of love. And so I'm going to the good place. I know that, and when I go there, I get to do a lot of catching up and a lot of hugging and kissing and loving a whole bunch of people like my mom and my sister and stuff like that. And uh, people that I've never met that I've wanted to meet, including a lot of people that um, somehow they touched my life or I touched their life that made it possible for us to make that next little tiny step, you know, forward. And then one of the things I might consider is maybe an opportunity to go to a better world and um, have that experience which would be really cool. Wouldn't it be nice to go to a world that um, was paradise, you know, and just enjoy with those beings paradise for a while. And then I might, you know, um, eventually I might be given some responsibilities like a, um, an overseer for like a, a household or, or a family or a town or, and then in my development, it might be like a, a whole area or a country or a planet or a universe or, and those will all be. And so what I am looking forward to in no particular order, because um, between me and God, it's all going to be perfect. Um, one wonderful, beautiful adventure and experience after another upon another upon another ultimately culminating in that um i like to call it the heavenly symphony because they're they're actually not singing with their voices it's um hard to explain that the vibrational thing that they're it's a vibrational yeah their whole, their whole being that they're giving yeah, out yeah. and each one each one of them is their own instrument i mean they're not they're not bringing violins and pianos and harps they're bringing their instrument is themselves their vibration yeah yeah, yeah. But um, I could talk about that all day too because I'm a big believer and proponent of uh, music being a spiritual tool and there's so many conscious music artists. Jesus believes that. Yeah, that. Yeah, and there's so many beautiful conscious music artists out there that are using their music to raise the vibration of our consciousness on the planet. And, um, you know, whether they're singing kirtan, which is like mantra music, which is... Um, reciting this Hindu words or um, pop music that, you know, they're singing. But they're, they're like I was at a concert the other night, Lulu and Mishka, and, you know, their songs and the intent of their songs is so beautiful and so uplifting and so yeah. divine and uh, nothing to do with religion really, just intention and love and following that path. But, you know, you said... You said that there's no such thing as time. There's only the spacious now when you're in that environment. So inside this spacious now, aren't you, and I've heard you also say you don't believe in reincarnation because there's so many other places to go. Why would you come back here? <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how I mean that, is that but lots, you lots, of, 
wouldn't you already be having those lives because it's all happening now? Wouldn't you be already experiencing you in another planet in another dimension or you as an as a spirit guide or overseer over soul to a to a soul family or a planet or a household? Wouldn't that be already you have, happening? You have surpassed my ability to comprehend. I <laughs> I, I, you know, it's right. If if it's all now, then how? Where, where's the past and the future? And like, I don't, I don't, I can't get it. I can't understand. But it. when you're in that environment, you got it. I, yeah, I did, but it didn't yeah. hear it. Like, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm what I'm working on. You know, I, I live in the real world, and and I drive a real car, and have real appointments, and have real a real watch, and clocks, and cell phone, and all that stuff. So, I mean, I have to pay attention to the past and the future. And, and my little appointment character is my little, you know, guide. But my goal in this world is to be as fully present to every moment that I'm in. That's what I'm trying to achieve here. And um, I just don't think that much about um, what happened before or what's going to happen tomorrow. But I think if I um, stay really focused on the, on the here and now, um, and take and take care of business, you know, put out the trash, feed the dogs, you know, make sure they get their walkies because they need their walkies or else they're going to do things to make me sad. You know, you know, Howard, we've I've just looked at the time. We've been like we've been talking for about an hour and a half. So the time's flown by. I'm just getting started. here. I know. And I'm <laughs> thinking you have to put all this stuff down that I didn't get to question you about in another book, Howard, in another oh. book, another one, all the stuff you didn't write about. Because um, I, I might, but I'll tell you what, the more I go off out, out of the known territory, you know, um, I, ju- I just get so much um, negative feedback for oh, it. Oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? You know, there's so many people. I think that you only get negative feedback because you've been inside a religion, a religion institution, because you've been a reverend, you know, because the New Age movement, there are so many people out there writing down their experiences and I spoke to you know Penny was one of them who had that near-death experience and um and you know she was saying when she came back she could feel the rocks loving her and the trees talking to her and her husband thought she was going crazy but uh and then another beautiful um Yvonne had this incredibly expansive experience and she speaks like you did she explored different universes and she was saying from that perspective if you want to understand that the nature of an atom you could you could take yourself right into the atom and be inside the atom and and then you could be out in the cosmos looking at all the different universes and you know from the like she said that she felt like she was over there for hundreds of years she was actually in a coma for a while I think a few weeks but she was just going like zipping around the universe and we didn't have a chance to talk about not even a nano percentage of what she experienced over there but um that's when people ask me, how long was my experience? I said, longer than I was in graduate school. And I said, well, how long was that? And I said, three years. And I said, you, your experience lasted three years. And I said, well, I learned a lot more in my experience than I learned in graduate school. So it was probably more than three years, but whatever. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's a few more books in you, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about what other people think. You know, here's the thing. One of my, another good friend of mine who I interviewed, a woman called Frances Reiki, her mother was an Australian that moved over to the States in the war and, and she died at the age of 89, I think in 2010. And 
and um, she had been very active in the church and she'd been like a, she'd been an amazing woman while she was on this planet and um, she came through to Frances after she died and, and with her mob, with her spiritual team mm-hmm. and, and uh, basically Frances just went into this altered state of awareness for about three months and channeled through these four books called The Team oh. and um, amazing books. And Jesus talks through them. And uh, one of the things I wanted to read to you was um, something that that came through in these books about Jesus. It said that Jesus is a representative of the band of consciousness comprised of pure compassion. From this broad band comes an individual expression of the energies contained in that band. And so it was with the appearance of the person that we knew on earth. Mm -hmm. He is regarded by many makes me cry. (laughs) He's regarded by many as the most important type of consciousness upon your earth simply because there is such a tremendous need in your physical realm for the manifestation of his band's attributes, which are non-judgment, non-violence, hope, forgiveness, kindness, love, and reconciliation. And you know that that's you know that kind of sums it up because because of the density of our environment like our preschool i think that he's such a big influence in this world because of the attributes that he's bringing this compassion and non-judgment and uh, and yet the irony of it is that many of the people that are such staunch jesus you know like passionate about him are some of the most judging people <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's kind of bizarre, but I think that our job as anyone who's here to teach, whether we're religious or New Age or Hindu or nothing or whatever, is to not worry about what other people think and just live and just live our truth. Yeah, you're right, but it's it's hard because um, I'm a human it being. I, it ain't no, easy. <laughs> no, I am. Um, I get sometimes I get tired of beating up. Um, my ex-wife who left me told me that um, I was a huge embarrassment to her. Oh, well, that's her problem, not yours. No, I mean, you're, 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 you're right, but I, love, I, I loved her. I loved her and I love her. Still. Just, I mean, I can't not love her. She told me she didn't love me, but um, it hurt. I mean, that, that sent me into a really deep pit dark depression for a while that divorce thing um you know it um you know the the tough thing about being loving is when you're loving it makes you very vulnerable because you're putting out all this love and then when the love is like um thrown to the ground and stomped on you know it's just like really (laughs) really that's what you're doing with my love you know yeah, but think about your man, right? Think about your guy. He yeah. did exactly that. Like he loved yeah, people. Yeah. And, you know, I, in that little video I showed you, this is what he said to me when I'm like, so how did you cope with that? Like you just loved people and taught them how to love and then they persecuted you and they, they crucified you. And he said, well, you know, when you're so connected to your pure essence, to your divine essence, when, to your source energy, that you understand none of it is real. It's just the illusion of the mind. And he said, you know, I wanted to demonstrate non-judgment, so I allowed people, I created it. He said, I created it. I created a scenario that had people judge me, persecute me, and kill me. 
mm-hmm. and he, they still didn't piss me off. <laughs> I know. It's, I, I, I want to be like him. I'm, I'm striving to be like him, but it's not easy. It is not easy. I like, I like, I heard you say that before. I mean, I watched some of your stuff. And I yeah. heard you say, no, that's fine. But what a sense of humor. And they still didn't piss me off. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. And you're right. He's got an amazing sense of humor and cracks me up all the time. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, we probably have to go, but I wanted to talk about how you came back into this really sick body, but you came back armed with this knowing. Did that help you with the pain and the recovery and all that? Um, yes and no. The problem was when I, when I came back, I could see all the spiritual stuff, uh, without, with, I mean, I didn't try, it was just there. So I saw it to, it's way more complicated, but I saw all the angels and the demons. I saw all the good spirits, the bad spirits, and there's a lot more indifferent spirits. Um, but anyways, and so I was having daily conversations with angels and I was, um, having conversations with demons and some really, really, really sick. Right. I was on, you know what critical is in the, yeah. I was critical for five weeks. Five weeks. Right. And, uh, so, I mean, I wasn't doing much, you know, um, I wasn't eating. I was, you know, I wasn't having bowel movements. I was just like, eh, and, uh, couldn't lift my head anyhow. So I'm seeing all this stuff and people are coming in and I would like, I would I would want to say things to him. I said like you know, um, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, I think there's some bad stuff in your life, but you can get rid of it if you like. You know, really um, like sort of ramped up the love towards your parents. You know, I think that would really they would drive away those things that are trying to take you down and and really um, souring your life. And I found I found out. Uh, couple years later i mean I, I i also could see into people's um feelings heart and uh, i knew that they thought i was ridiculous and i found out later that i was um i was famous in the hospital and people used to come to see me to laugh at me um and i knew that and it made me so sad because all as i wanted to tell them was like if you want goodness if you want love if you want joy all you got to do is ask for it and seek it and it's yours just just reach out for it and grab it and take it you know, and let go of all the, the garbage you're hanging on to. And uh, that's, what, that's one of the reasons why I went into the church was because I was having no success out there on my own. Exactly. Yeah, and I so, got that. Okay. I yeah. really get so, that. So the church professes to believe in all this good stuff, and yeah. especially, you know, Jesus, and he professed all this good stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join up with them, and I'll be part of the institution. And it's, and it's had some... It's had its ups and downs, you know. Well, it's it's interesting because it allowed you to speak what you knew, but it also didn't allow you to speak what you knew because what you knew was so much bigger than what it wanted to speak about. I mean, you could speak about heaven, okay. You could speak about angels, okay. You could speak about Jesus, but you couldn't speak about any of that other stuff, aliens and other universes and different dimensions. But I couldn't speak about any of those things at the university, zero. Yeah. I was told. But you know what? It takes a brave soul to take on this body and then it takes an even braver soul to take on this body to remember who we are and then to tell, you know, the puny little human minds exactly who we are. And um, I suppose in 1985 there weren't too many people, but now there are just simply millions and millions and millions of 
even just near-death experiences who have yeah. similar experiences. Yeah, I, I think God's doing something because I totally. think God, God's um, getting very frustrated because we're doing so much damage to not just the Mother. creation, but to, uh, to all the um, all these beautiful souls that's got. We're doing so much damage. You know, there's a, a billion people living in abject poverty. Um, yeah, you know, there's, 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 there's people that don't have a life as we, we would understand a life. And uh, God wants this all to change because he made us all to um, be um, supportive and sharing and contributing to each other and, and, and growing in beautiful ways um, as God's creatures. And so I think God's doing something really big. And, um, you know, people talk about the end of the world and the apocalypse and all that stuff. Well, I don't see it. Um, yeah, there's going to be some destruction. There's going to be some hard times, but I see it as a, a birth pain. I think the the birth of a beautiful new creation is very, very close. I even have some dates in mind. <laughs> oh, you do? Oh, you know, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I had it in my notes, the future probable earths, because he showed you future probable yeah. earths. This is something that Lorna Byrne was shown too, the angel lady. And she was shown, like you, she was shown um, positive timelines and negative timelines, you know, probable right. realities, futures yeah. and negative, depending on the choice that we make as humans. Yeah. But, you know, now we're coming up to nearly two hours, but I could talk to you for hours and yeah. hours. Um, i tell you what I'd love to do next year. I've got a yeah. little tribe of about 20 people that are in my inner sanctum circle. Okay. And I invite some of the people I speak to on the show to come in as a guest teacher and we get we have a couple of hours together to like nut this out, talk about this. Yeah. I'd love to invite you into the inner sanctum next Great. year to come oh, and yeah. explore. Because, uh, yeah, that's what we're up to down here, you know. We're up to um, shifting dimensions. Like you talked about all the different dimensions. We're, we're, we're graduating from preschool to kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll just touch on, I suppose that, you know, creating that probable future, that, that, that positive timeline is about whether uh, a critical mass, enough of us actually um, shift in our thinking and our consciousness. And it's not just wishful thinking because in talking to Jesus about this, he said it's God's will. It's going to happen. This is yeah. not. And the only question, are, are we going to be part of the solution or part of the problem? Yeah. That's all. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because the yeah. fact of the matter is, the people that stand in the way of this, they're going to have to disappear. I'm sorry, but they're going to have to disappear, or they're going to have to change. What God wants, He wants them to change. He wants them to, um, you know, get on the love boat. But if they won't, then they can swim. You know, because it's really it's uh, it's inevitable. And I would like to think that um, I've had my little participation and encouragement of that it's um you know i think you used the term the plan that's how jesus talked about the plan yeah no. plan. yeah there's a plan there's a plan yeah. soul plan yeah stick to the plan stick to the plan oh howard it's been so beautiful to talk with you today as i say there's so much more to talk about because your um experience is so vast so vast and, and beautiful. And thank you for all the work that you've done in the world. Thank you for all the thank teaching. Yeah, God's plan was for you to get your message out there. He put you on Oprah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm no Oprah, but at least there's a few other thousand you, people. I, that I, aren't you down under censor to Oprah? No, I'm not down on this Oprah. I'm too out there for Oprah. You know, the thing about Oprah is she knew so much more than she let on to when she was doing her show because she was reading channeled, you know, literature. And I, I remember she wanted to put Esther Hicks on the show, which is channeled information. And, uh, and, and But she was vilified by her, um, her listeners, her, her fans too. When she used to talk about spirituality outside of a religious context, they used to vilify her. You know, she had a hard time trying to speak about her truth too to the mainstream. Yeah. 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 Well, she's, she has a wonderful network now in the U S you know, yeah. um, and they, they put on some really good stuff. My wife and I watch her. Yeah. She's yeah she really does interviews good. with people and that sort of thing, you know, yeah. gets into some pretty deep stuff. Yeah. 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 It's a new world we live in. And thank you for all that you've done to bring about the shift. Thank you. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Namaste to you. <laughs> Bye for now. Well, wasn't that fantastic? Isn't Howan Storm just the most beautiful man, really? I could have talked to him for hours and hours. I, we actually had another chat. I'm going to, after I finish the, the recording and, I think we're going to do another interview with him all about the angels. He said he could do a whole show on the angels. I think that would be nice to hear more about how the angels help us in our lives. And uh, such a beautiful, beautiful man. So beautiful. So thanks again for watching another show, Accentuating the Positive. And uh, if you want to join us in the Inner Sanctum, our little tribe, uh, you can meet Howard and he's going to join us next year. You can meet him next year and ask him questions yourself he's got so much more knowledge to share than he's actually even put in his books or or done on any interview so bring your questions with you and uh, this is deliberate creation for the new world teachers helping you get your story and your message out there to the world if you need a reading or some help or support come and have a session with me thanks again for watching love you all bye for now Clap along if you feel like that's what you want